This episode of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com slash geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time contribution, you can do that via check or PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. And I want to give a special thank you to Lisa Gallman, who just signed up this week to support us on Patreon. So big thanks again to everyone who's contributed. We really appreciate it. All right, so now let's get to our show. Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 431 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Our guest today is Daniel Green. He runs a popular YouTube channel with almost 200,000 subscribers, which focuses on fantasy authors such as Robert Jordan, Brandon Sanderson, and Jim Butcher. He also has over 800 supporters on Patreon, and last year he was able to quit his job as a software engineer and make YouTube his full-time job. He also just launched a new podcast, A Fictional Conversation, with his friend Bobby O'Donnell. And now here's our interview with Daniel Green. All right, so we're here with Daniel Green. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so how did you first get interested in fantasy and science fiction? Uh, so my interest in sci-fi fantasy kind of started way back before I could even read. My dad would just read to me nonstop. I like to call it brainwashing, but it was very effective. And uh, ever since then, it's just kind of been a part of my life. And I was fortunate enough through the hobby of YouTube to kind of make it my full-time job. Yeah, I saw your your video where you're going through your dad's uh, all his Dungeons and Dragons binders and stuff. <laughs> oh yeah, that was uh, that was a lot. It was really cool, interesting to go down that. Uh, I remember when we were kids, my brother and I. He made us play our first game of D and D, and my brother, I don't think he was super into it, but I spent like an hour just aside from it coming up with a back uh, story for my druid, and then none of that turned out to be relevant, and I was a little <laughs> upset. But hey, it was worth it. It was a lot of fun. I love D and D. Yeah. So what kind of books was, was your dad reading to you? Uh, it was gosh, all over the board in terms of sci-fi fantasy. I think he did some harder sci-fi stuff that I was too young to really understand. I think that was more for him just to <laughs> read some of his favorites. Uh, but I clearly remember vividly his dark materials, Harry Potter, um, also just him making up fantasy stories off the top of his head. Uh, and you know, that just kind of made it so that ever since I was a kid, elves, dragons, wizards, if you can throw a fireball, I'm down. Uh, <laughs> and that just kind of worked. And I like that he did throw in some stuff that wasn't super traditional fantasy, like his dark materials, because uh, it made me really curious about what the broader genre can do. And ever since then, I've always like liked when an author comes in and does something that's a little bit unorthodox, because, you know, his dark material isn't exactly another Lord of the Rings. There's some real heavy themes there, and it's more of a Earth-like world. And I've always kind of drifted towards uh, fantasy since then where I can pull parallels to our own world, our own lives, because I, I just kind of view the genre as a way to tell exaggerated real stories in a sense. And that's kind of the lens that I try to look through what authors are writing. Yeah. I heard you say, too, that I think you said your brother, you and your brother kind of bonded over Forgotten Realms novels. Yeah. Wow. You have gone through some deep cut videos. Uh, my brother had a, fan, uh, a phase where he was really into Forgotten Realms. I don't think he's ever been huge into fantasy as a whole. Uh, but after the Lord of the Rings movies came out, I think a friend of his, Sean, got him into Forgotten Realms, uh, which you know I was not super interested in at the time. But my brother, 
uh, got me to uh, get into them a little bit. And, you know, the legend of Drist and all of that, there's just outstanding stories within the uh, sprawling, vast landscape of Forgotten Realms that uh, eventually I got into. And uh, I still think to this day, my brother remembers them very well, because unlike me, he hasn't filled his brain up with a thousand different stories <laughs> of fantasy. He has those pretty much solidly to the forefront. That's my biggest problem now is I read too much, so I can't keep any of it straight. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a good problem to have. Yeah, well, that's why it's good to interview. That's because, you know, when I interview authors, then even if I forget the book three months later, I can always go back and listen to my interview and be like, oh, yeah, there was a time when I really knew the details of this book really well. <laughs> it's good because you feel like you go crazy sometimes. There's times I've picked up a book and it's not until I'm a third into it that I go, I read this. I've read this before. <laughs> I've I've experienced this. And uh, it's it's happening more and more often. It's concerning. But I mean, I loved those, um, particularly um, Homeland by R.A. Salvatore, the first of the Dark Elf trilogy. Like that's still, mm -hmm. in, in my memory at least, one of my favorite books. Um, I really, you know, because the, the premise, if people haven't read it, is that they're the Dark Elves and they're all evil. And then there's one named Dritz who's the only one with a conscience. And I read that in middle school and I really identified with Dritz. I felt like I was the only one with a conscience, so... <laughs> well, I, I don't know what school you went to, but I'm glad to hear you have a conscience. <laughs> uh, and I, I remember, I'm not going to get into spoilers here in case someone hasn't listened to it, but the ending of the uh, Where I Left Off with Forgotten Realms had this tragic, tragic ending for a character. And I remember being the first time that I actually teared up reading a book. And I was just like, well, I think this really spawned something in me that I'm never going to let go. And I, uh, I think I haven't. I've always just been so into books that can make me feel or compel me through the pages. Um, I just recently read uh, the Greenbone Saga, and I don't think I've ever love-hated characters more than the family that's in the forefront of that one. So if you can get an emotional reaction out of me as an author, I'm I'm sold. I think that's why Stephen King is such a such a favorite of mine. I, I'm not familiar. The, what's the the Greenbone Saga? Who's that by? Yeah, it's uh, Jade War and Jade City are the books, and they're based off of like Yakuza crime syndicates with a fantasy overlay and it's not this dark lord uh type story it's more of this there's an evil crime syndicate family you follow characters in that and they're going against another evil crime syndicate family and it's just corruption arcs across the board it's just everyone is getting drawn deeper and deeper into this i, I compare it to godfather in my review and it's uh Man, is it good. Uh, Fonda Lee wrote it, and I, I keep singing its praises because too few people have read it. It's one that everyone's got to check out. Yeah, all right, cool. Yeah, I'll look into that. Um, so I heard you say also that you were homeschooled. I don't know if that was entirely or you went back. It sounded like maybe you went back and forth to school, but um, what was that like being homeschooled by a hardcore Dungeons & Dragons player? <laughs> well, my mom, uh, she was never too into the fantasy and she was the one who really homeschooled me. My dad worked, uh, but I'm severely, severely dyslexic. Uh, and so I was uh, too dyslexic and the public schools I was going to couldn't really compensate for it. And so I ended up getting put in like special tutoring as well as my mom working with me at home because she's an angel and has infinite patience. Um, and then my dad would help me uh, when he had the chance to get more into books and encourage me to read because they were afraid that I would get too frustrated with how difficult it was for me to read at a young age. Um, but little did they know I was addicted to fantasy. So that wasn't going to happen. I just didn't want to read the books they were giving me. Uh, and then uh, eventually uh, through a combination of I got an IEP, which essentially meant the school had to help me because which they fought for a long time. Uh, and I believe my mom getting tired of me. They put me <laughs> back into public school. And, uh, man, that was a change. Uh, I was in homeschooled all the way through high school, uh, up until high school. And then high school, I was put back in. 
uh, and kind of hid the fact that I was really nerdy and into fantasy and all this stuff uh, a lot because I was afraid people would judge me. That's one of my big regrets. And then uh, once I went off to college, I just kind of was like, screw it. It's my life. I love it. These things are amazing. And uh, I didn't know anyone who read the books that I did. So I ended up taking this one project a teacher gave me, which was to make a video and try to make it go viral because I was in this communications class about digital rhetoric. And I decided to make it about the Wheel of Time, my favorite fantasy series. And the video kind of did well, like not anything like the numbers I get now, but pretty decent and a bunch of comments saying do more. And now that's my career. So now I think the entire world is crazy. Nothing means anything and whatever can lead <laughs> to your job. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned sort of being um, afraid to tell people because they make would make fun of you. Because certainly, you know, I'm I think about 20 years older than you. And certainly when I was growing up, that was a huge sort of un universal feature of reading fantasy and science fiction is being, you know, made fun of or having teachers tell you to stop and, and stuff like that. And I was wondering if uh, it might have been different for you growing because you, me you mentioned, you know, like everyone was reading Harry Potter and stuff when you were growing up. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like it was still sort of um, there's some stigma or something. Well, it was funny. There were the books that would break past the stigma, right? There was the Harry Potters, the Aragons, the ones that was just so big that the entire student body would read them. Um, I would even say Twilight, which is, you know, a form of fantasy just absolutely broke that barrier. But if people are talking about Harry Potter and then I go, oh, but have you checked out, you know, uh, if you checked out, okay, you really like Harry Potter, that's fantasy. Maybe you should read uh, Fafford and the Great Mauser. People <laughs> would give me a look like, what did you just say? <laughs> I'd be like, well, no, trust me, it's good. You'll like it. And then, you know, it's no, 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 that's nerdy crap. And I'd be like, well, uh, all right. And I kind of found an excuse to get away with that a little bit with Stephen King. People didn't realize Stephen King was fantasy. So I could say I'm reading King and people be like, oh, that's cool. That's horror. And I'd be like, a little do you know, it's fantasy too. Uh, <laughs> but it's it was something that I think is getting better. Certainly now, uh, now that I'm a content creator who works with this stuff, I don't know if I'm just in a bubble or if it really is as much as it seems to me where just nerd culture is the go-to big thing. Um, you know, if, if you're into a book series and someone else hasn't read it, now you're the one who has something to hold over their head rather than the other way around, uh, at least in the circles I run. And I don't know, you know, what it's like to be in a whole different world, but I'm very happy in the world that I'm in. <laughs> yeah. Well, so you mentioned Wheel of Time is your favorite series. Could you talk about like, how did that come to be your favorite series? Random, chaotic uh, universe chances, man. I was in Barnes and Noble one day with my mom and she was like, just grab a book. I don't care what, just get a book. We need to go. And blue is my favorite color. And the cover of Eye of the World, the first Wheel of Time book is very blue. And it has some people and a guy in armor and a woman riding a horse and a party. And I was like, this looks Lord of the Rings-esque. Little did I know I was right. And <laughs> so I grabbed it. And I think I read that first book in like a weekend. Uh, and then I just was constantly hounding my mom to get more books, get more books, get more books. And then I got up to the point where the books were done, like not, not done, but all the books yeah, were out. Yeah. I had read and I had to start being in the wait. Uh, and then before Robert Jordan put out the next book, he passed, unfortunately. And man, I remember that day that was, I sat at my desk for like an hour, just staring at my computer, like, no, uh, very sad. And then I heard Brandon Sanderson was going to take over. And that was right when I really got in the wheel of time fandom. If I remember correctly, I remember hearing that news and talking about it with my only other friend who had read the books um, and being like, there's no way this guy can can take it over. And then uh, little did I know he did a stupendous job uh, and we got the full series. But now my love of Wheel of Time came down to just me one day deciding this looks like it'll be neat. Let's grab that. 
now now I uh, am eagerly awaiting the show. Well, yeah. Well, maybe let's come back to that. But yeah, let me tell you about my experience with Wheel of Time because I, mm -hmm. you know, I had some friends who were reading it in high school, but I never read Eye of the World. And then because I was kind of I was a little bit against epic fantasy at the time because I just I'd read enough bad ones. I'd kind of gotten turned off on it. There's and, a lot of bad ones. <laughs> and then, um, you know, game, I read Game of Thrones and I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I must have. Let's see what I've been missing. And so I did read Eye of the World and I, I was kind of like meh on it. And then uh, around that time was when um, it was called Crossroads at Twilight had just come out. And you would just read the reviews on Amazon. It was just like page after page of just like one star, one star, one star, one star. Like nothing yeah. happens in this book. So it's kind of like that kind of put me off on, you know, going any farther in the series. But I was just curious what you're like, what, how do you respond to, to someone like me who that was my experience with it? So there is a slog. Uh, anyone who says it doesn't exist at all is lying to you. Uh, there's 14 books and there's about three of them where Robert Jordan decided there's not going to be much action at all. I'm just going to spend three books really showing you how these characters have developed and where they've gotten to. So if you're a character reader, some people love those books. I, I still think they're better upon reread because Robert Jordan's foreshadowing is just unbelievable. And there's so much in there you can pull from. Um, but then he finally kind of kicked out of the slog with Knife of Dreams, uh, which was his final book before he passed in the Wheel of Time. And many consider arguably his best. Uh, I think it's really great that we as the fans got to see you know his last entry in the wheel of time is such a good book um and then sanderson came in and he sanderson it up anyone who reads <laughs> fantasy knows sanderson handles pacing and character just bang 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 and that's kind of the perfect match for a uh, wheel of time wheel of time needed something like that someone who could tie up a thousand different plot lines really well um and i'm sure brandon sanderson's blood pressure in those years was quite a bit higher uh due to the amount of pressure on him but uh i think it's not a series I recommend to everybody, even though I love it because I know recommending a 14 book series to someone isn't what I would call polite. It's almost rude. Uh, but I, I totally, I think uh, rude think would be giving it to them for Christmas, you know, <laughs> it's, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but I do think anyone who's a hardcore fantasy fan who wasn't, who, who read like a song of ice and fire and wasn't satiated, could absolutely get through Wheel of Time. And anyone who gets to book four is in love with it. The percentage of people who hit book four and are not absolutely obsessed with it uh, is very, very, very low. And then there's a certain number who won't finish because the slog just hits them too hard. Uh, but everyone who pushes past that, I personally haven't met anyone who doesn't at least like to love the ending of the series and think it's worth it. Um, even a fellow booktuber of mine, uh, Murphy Napier, she really struggled with the slog, but then she got to the last book and she said like in her final review, she was like, I didn't love this series, but damn, this ending was good and it was worth it. And so I was like, good. Even if you don't love it all the way through, you still are going to appreciate uh, what was accomplished because it's rare in fantasy to get a series that long that ties up the ending in a nice little bow. You know what I mean? Like that's not a common thing. Yeah. I mean, these days, if you get an ending at all, that's uh, you know a big plus. <laughs> Good, good point. There's this now uh, continual, uh, it doesn't end. Uh, I actually really appreciate Terry Pratchett's approach with Discworld, where it's just all these standalone stories so that you never feel like you're, okay, this isn't over yet. You know, uh, Discworld is just interesting story after interesting story, but it never feels like anything was left undone, so to speak. Yeah. Okay. So you said that you, um, you, you did your first YouTube video for this college communications class and then it got a pretty mm -hmm. good response. And then kind of what happened in terms of YouTube after that? 
Uh, I mean, I'm a millennial, so I saw YouTubers blowing up and doing stuff, and I saw a gap, and I, I didn't know BookTube, which is kind of the uh, sphere I'm in by by just the nature of my channel, uh, was a thing. So I just decided, oh, I don't think there's many people talking about books. Little did I know there were already dozens, uh, but I'll go ahead and throw my hat in the ring. And uh, it, it became a really interesting hobby that I would just once a week maybe put out a video, um, and then I graduated college, started being a software engineer. And suddenly I started getting, you know, tens of thousands of subscribers. And I was like, all right, I'll up the number of videos I do, see what we can do here. Started doing four or five videos a week. Um, and then for a few years, I was at a video every day of the week, seven days a week, which was insane while also being a software engineer. I'm a workaholic. Uh, <laughs> and then also trying to get all these books done. And uh, at a certain point, I just realized I'm making more doing this than I was for my software engineer job. And I love the company I work for, but I'm not going to not, you know, see what I can do with this. And then I managed to land a few interviews back to back with authors I really admired. I had publishers reaching out to me going, how are you doing this? Like we want to, you know, bring you on as a consultant. And I was like, all right, this is a real thing I've tapped into kind of on accident. Let's, let's ride this out. And it, uh, you know, I've never claimed to be an expert in fantasy. I actually read a remarkably small amount, uh, when I started the channel, I maybe had 10 to 15 series under my belt. Now it's closer to 50, 60. Uh, but it's, it's been a very interesting experience kind of joining this community and slowly being immersed deeper and deeper and deeper into it. Not finished 50 or 60, by the way, tried out or finished 50 or 60. I want to clarify that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been a wild, wild ride. YouTube is a crazy, crazy platform to operate on. Yeah, well, so I mean, I'm not super knowledgeable about the booktube world. I mean, your videos mm -hmm. kind of just came up mysteriously via the youtube algorithm and i like because they're you know most of the other booktube things i'd seen were like, way more focused on ya and mm -hmm. just a little bit more like kind of like goofy like and and you're a little bit more serious which i like um mm -hmm. and so i guess i'm just curious like are are there other other channels like yours that focus on mostly on kind of adult fantasy and science fiction and have um you know in, in terms of books um in particular Yes. Uh, the trick is to look for specific series that you know are adult fantasy and you'll find booktubers talking about them and you can kind of just go that way. Uh, but there's yeah, the one I maybe admire most in terms of his just technical abilities to speak about books and his editing and everything is captured in words. Uh, he talks exclusively about adult fantasy. He puts out like a video a month, but it's like an event Sorry, for me when say, he does. Say, that, say the name again. Captured in words. Captured uh, in words. Uh, okay. Yeah. Outstanding channel uh, where he just does these extraordinary videos about Sanderson or whatever series uh, captures him. He's a big King Killer fan, which I'm, I'm not huge about. So whenever I get comments saying like, talk about King Killer, I just direct them over to Jay. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's he's spectacular. And then there's another one, uh, a woman who operates like a sister channel to my channel, uh, Murphy Napier. Her and her husband are really good friends of mine, and they talk a lot about adult fantasy. Um, so they're out there, uh, but there definitely wasn't as much discussion of adult fantasy uh, in, until like the most recent years, I'd like to say I contributed somewhat to that becoming more popular. Um, but there's, there's just a lot more now coming up and I, I hope to use my channel to help promote these guys. Uh, the trick is I need to make sure to find the ones who are going to stick around because it's always disappointing to like have someone on the channel, direct your audience toward them. And then they just disappear a month later. <laughs> it's just like, oh, yeah. okay. They've, they've decided to quit. Great. When, um, when you say that Murphy Napier is a good friend of yours, is this someone that you <laughs> new or no outside of the internet or is it a, a entirely online kind of friendship 
So we were introduced by another booktuber who makes really good content, Elliot Brooks, and we met online. And then she was just like, hey, come to my house. Our husband and I want to meet you. And we also were getting into doing audiobooks at the time because, you know, authors are asking me to narrate their books. And so I just went down and met her and we've, we hung out a whole weekend and I got to know her family and we just did, talk. Did she live nearby or did you go on like a 20 hour drive or something? It was like four hours away. I was in Ohio. She was in Kentucky. Um, and I was actually, she, she was halfway between my, myself and my dad. So I just kind of went oh, see Murphy, good, yeah. see my dad <laughs> at home. Uh, yeah. So it went really well. And it's, it's really cool. This community has come up and, uh, you know, there's, there's, there is booktube. And then I like to think there's this broader sphere around it where there's like literature tube where people just talk about, uh, more broad topics, maybe not specific book reviews, but things that could be in that you know, general fandom. If you like our videos, you'll like theirs as well. Like there's Hello Future Me, who will do deep dives into writing psychology of characters and stuff like that. Um, and so it's just this beautiful community where I, I've yet to meet a booktuber I don't like. We're all just big old nerds. There's a lot of drama, quote unquote, I'm sure people hear about it on YouTube. It doesn't really hit us, at least not in the circles I'm in, which is really nice. And we're all kind of self-taught and unorthodox. So I just encourage people not to take what we say is word of God. <laughs> we're just, we're just nerds. That's what you got to keep in mind. All of us are just nerds. We're well read and usually well researched, but we're not the, you know, old publishing people who have been doing this for 40 years. We're all really new. Yeah. Well, so in, in one of your videos, you said you described this period of time where early on where you were get I don't know. I think you had a couple thousand subscribers or something and felt like um, it wasn't really growing and you were about ready to give up. And you said that Kitty G gave you a big bump. Could you talk about that? Yeah, uh, Kitty G is a, a wonderful uh, creator, and she's funny. She disparaged me once on accident, and then she uh, encouraged me in this uh, almost at the same time, uh, where I was in a mindset where I was like, I want to do this full time eventually. And she in the video said, "You're never going to do this full time. Like you can't get there." Fortunately, I did, uh, but I almost quit. She said when I heard to you use say that. to use. Oh no, she wasn't saying. Oh no, you, just Daniel said Green it broadly. <laughs> no, 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 just broadly in a video. Like, if you're going to be a booktuber, don't expect it to pay the bills. And mm. I kind of was like, oh no, when I heard that. Um, but at the same time, she shouted out my channel when I had like I think less than a thousand subs, and I was really kind of the negative comments were getting to me. I hadn't learned how to block them out yet. Then I'm still not sure if I have. And, uh, she shouted me out and said she liked my videos and it pushed me over a thousand. And I remember that meant the world to me, uh, to have someone who was so much bigger than me at the time, uh, give me a tip of the hat. And I was like, all right, there's something here. I'm going to keep going, uh, keep getting in the ring. Cause every video can feel like stepping in the ring sometimes, depending on what you're saying. Um, and it, it, I, I, I owe her more than I think she knows. I don't know if she even still knows I exist, uh, but she's she's a wonderful creator. And uh, it's, she's always someone I still occasionally will go and watch a video just to see how she's doing. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the reasons I wanted to, to talk to you is because you had this tweet um, a while back that I came across where you, you were talking about just like YouTube is hard work. And mm -hmm. you go through all your like, you, it starts out most full time YouTubers I know work 60 hour weeks, myself included, and you just go through all the sponsors and editing mm -hmm. and research and everything. And I just I, I, um, I respect that. I admire that kind of, um, you know, it's hard work. It's 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 a but I, I say it's a job that's like death by a thousand cuts. Um, there's no part of a YouTuber that's horrible, right? We're not doing the crazy hard work of someone's, you know, working on a roof in 100 plus degree weather. Um, but you have to wear a hundred hats being a YouTuber. You need to be a director, a producer, an editor. You need to have a basic understanding of, I think, coding. Uh, you need to do design with thumbnails. Uh, you need to be able to understand how to work and communicate with other people and organize. 
um, really uh, every YouTuber who's doing it full time is running a one man show that needs to end up looking, uh, you know, as good as the cream of the crop. Cause if you want to stand out, you have to be on that edge. Uh, I actually recently, after spending months looking into light design and framing shots, just decided like, I can't spend this, uh, time also researching this aspect of what I do. So I just brought a photographer friend in and he helped me set up lights in a better angles and taught me about highlighting lights and how to not over, you know, make a shot flat, how to add depth. And like, you just, you need to learn that stuff too. It's it, you know, being a YouTuber in 2008, you could just sit in your bed with a phone and gain subs that way. But you still can now if you have an extraordinary personality and are the funniest person around. But more and more, you know, you're ne- you're needing to step up your game and look top of the line. Um, I, I love the fact that all the late show hosts recently uh, had to go and start shooting from their homes because if you look when they got started, how terrible they looked. It's like those are professionals. Those are people who have been doing this for so long and they couldn't figure it out really quick. It just shows that YouTubers do put time and effort in to make their content quality. Um, and the hardest part, of course, is learning how to edit videos. I mean, that is a job in itself that you basically are learning a language of editing and it's, uh, it's not simple, but the best way to get going is to just start. I mean, if you watch my early videos, they're bad <laughs> and you just have to, you have to be bad for a while. That's what I tell new creators, be bad so you can get good. It's, it's funny to me now watching TV because so many people are like on Skype from their home and they're having all these like crappy internet connections and the host <laughs> is like, I think you've muted your microphone. And I'm like, yeah, welcome to my world. This is what I dealt with for 10 years, you know? Yeah. I mean, they've had the advantage of just being in the same formula and the ones that have adapted the best. Uh, I don't watch the daily show as much as I used to, but Trevor Noah did an outstanding job of adapting to the YouTube format uh, when he jumped onto YouTube. And if you look at how he did that, he just stole the YouTuber formula. He did jump cuts. He did all the edit stuff we do, and he made his show YouTube oriented. Um, whereas you look at someone like James Gordon, who was still pausing for a laugh that wasn't there because he's home alone. <laughs> uh, it's just like, no, man, you have to adapt. And it, a lot of them failed to. A lot of them did for a long time. Well, right. So, so this is, you know, for years has been a audio only 60 to 90 minute show. And uh, mm-hmm. for years I've taken the episode. I mean, most, almost all the listeners are on, you know, subscribed via iTunes or like whatever, but I've also taken the episodes and put them on YouTube just as basically mm-hmm. as a free backup in case anything happens to the files. So, uh, you know, I wasn't expecting, you know, 90 minute audio files on YouTube released once a week to set the world on fire or anything. But I mean, most of them get like literally like a hundred views or something. Um, every once in a while, one will get, you know, 50,000 or something, but that's pretty rare. Um, mm-hmm. but it was, so it was really interesting for me just hearing you talk about what you have to do to kind of keep the videos being recommended by YouTube. Um, mm-hmm. And so, so I guess, could you talk, I'll, I'll just read this quote. You said, um, unfortunately, this is not a platform that's all about work ethic and quality. Mostly it's about trends, algorithm and fast payoff. So what do you mean by that? I was very frustrated when I said that, that <laughs> um, because I saw a channel that was 10 times bigger than mine that just released a video that had so many mistakes, but people were just fine with it. And it's because they use certain trends and clickbaity stuff. And the, they, they were, they literally have one of those things where it's like Marvel's top 10 things you didn't know. And then you look into the video and it's like, Oh, you said Thanos wore the glove on his right hand. I knew that because I watched the movie. Um, and it was just, 
I was frustrated, but there is definitely a way to cheat the system on YouTube. Luckily, they're actually getting better at kind of stopping that because they've realized kind of that kind of content doesn't keep viewers or they want content that'll keep people around and respect the platform. Uh, but there are still people who game it now. And, uh, it, they just, I've, I, I mean, I, it, even from my own perspective, I'm not holier than thou. I have to look at trends and be like, okay, is that something that's going to benefit me and, you know, not be a horrible thing to do to the channel? Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. Uh, there's this explosive trend right now for some reason in thumbnails where people are outlining themselves in white. So they stand out more and I guess it gets more eyes. And I figured, okay, that's not going to hurt me. And if it gets more people to, Give Daniel Green a try. Sure. And so now I have that trend in my uh, thumbnails too. Um, it's just a matter of what's working. What are people doing? What's hot? Um, you know, people used to say like, oh, just make videos about Marvel. You will blow up. It's inevitable. But now everybody did that. And so it's completely saturated. And if you haven't already blown up in that circle, good luck. Um, you really have to keep your ear to the ground and intelligently find the line where you're making content you're proud of, but it's content that's going to stay relevant and stay in the algorithm and be promoted. Um, and, you know, I, I've gone too far. Uh, when Witcher was coming out, I made a ton of Witcher videos because they were doing really well for me. And I was like, this is great. I'll just keep doing this for a minute. And then my audience started being like, you suck because this is just <laughs> way too much Witcher. And I get, I did get a bunch of new subs, but even those new subs were like, when I stopped talking about Witcher, were like, hey, I was here for the Witcher content. I was like, <laughs> okay, well, I'm not going to talk about Witcher forever. Eh, bye. If you don't, if you're only here for Witcher, it's not going to just be that. Um, so yeah, you have to, you have to basically kind of figure out where you can grab your audience and how you'll be able to keep it. Cause there's also variables people don't know about that can end up hurting their channel. Like if you get a ton of subscribers that no longer watch any of your videos ever, uh, YouTube can, from what I've heard, cause they don't tell us, we don't know. This is all speculation. Then begin to devalue your channel because they see it as a channel that's audience is leaving it. Uh, even if they're still subscribed. So it's kind of this constant war to figure out, you know, what do you want to do? What's going to work? And there's never going to be any talk from YouTube about it. They will never tell you what's going on. <laughs> so you just, you're really shooting in the dark. Well, I thought it was interesting because in one of these videos, you were saying that there's basically, I think you said somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 20 fantasy book series that will reliably perform. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then if you um, want to talk about something else, you kind of have to think like, oh, this is going to not do as well. So I need to like, I can't do too many of these. I got to kind of balance it out against stuff that I yep. know is going to perform well. I thought that was really, um, you know, really savvy, um, that approach. It, it's the saddest part of my channel because I get 20 to 30 self-published authors reaching out to me a week, trying to get me to read their books. And I would love to read their books. I'd love to promote them for my audience. But if I did even a fraction of those, it would take up a huge percentage of my videos and YouTube would see, okay, he had five videos this week. Three of them were about these self-published books that barely got 10 K views. Uh, we're going to demote him. And eventually I wouldn't be able to do this job anymore. I'd, I'd have to go back to being a software engineer. Um, so about once a month, because that's what I can reliably afford, I'll try and pick a smaller series and use my channel to lift it up. Um, but it's, it's sad because I know there's so many people who would love to get on my platform. Uh, and that's not an ego thing. They tell me, uh, but I just can't do that. You know what I mean? I'd, I'd be shooting my own career in the foot. It's, it's a delicate balance. I've gotten better at tricking my audience. Uh, I'll say that out loud. I've tricked my audience into watching videos about lesser known books, uh, without them knowing <laughs> because it's just like, Hey, you guys will like this book if you pick it up. So I'm going to put in the thumbnail brilliant book or, you know, something like this. And that'll, that'll tease them in. Um, and I actually really go out of my way to avoid negative uh, reviews or books because it's just, it gets more views. A lot more people like that. But I find 
reading and reviewing a book, I hate uh, to be an extremely draining experience. And so I just kind of, if I start hating a book, I'll put it down or something because I just, you know, I, I prefer to be positive at this point. <laughs> um, you should just, what you should do is you should just have the graphic be of The Witcher. And then the video title is The Witcher is a book that's a lot like this other book I'm going to talk about. And then people <laughs> only see like The Witcher is a, and they click on it and then you've got them. That's it. So that's you just got to use that dot, dot, dot where it cuts off the <laughs> title and you're golden. <laughs> I mean, when you say it's kind of sad, that's the saddest thing. I mean, it almost made me feel glad in a way that when I started doing this podcast, there were no analytics whatsoever. So, I mean, I just did it for like five years, not literally not knowing if anyone was listening to it. Or, I mean, like people would say they were listening, but other otherwise, I had no idea if there were like a hundred people or a million people listening. And so I pretty much just did whatever I thought was interesting or important or, you know, that I felt like talking about. And, you know, and obviously like the, the way that you've, the approach that you've taken, um, you know, has given you way more success. Um, but then I, I'm, a, I'm almost glad in a way that I didn't, you know, <laughs> that I didn't have any feedback, you know, well, the, I, I will back you up there and say it's kind of good because there is a pretty large problem right now with content creators and these analytics just consuming their lives. I mean, there's people, uh, YouTube recently, uh, not recently, within the last year, took away a lot of the ways that content creators were able to see like just how many subs they were getting at any moment because they realized like people were just obsessed with these numbers and it wasn't good for the mental health of people to be like, why do I only get 100 subs today and not 500? You know, if you do that every day when it's just because, hey, less people happen to click on it, it's not that big a deal. Um, so YouTube seems to actually be rolling back the analytic feedback because it's it's like imagine showing up to work every day and every five minutes someone comes up to you and just grades everything you've done. That's what it's like being a YouTuber in a lot of ways, not only from the comments that are literally grading you sometimes, uh, but also just the analytics saying like, hey, this video, it's performing 10 out of your last 10. People aren't watching this long. You did a bad job and you should feel bad. Like, that's what it feels like sometimes. Uh, yeah, so well, you kind of have to purposely look away sometimes. Well, you're even saying, I mean, that even not even just how, how is this video performing overall, but how is it performing minute by minute? And you said, you know, like, mm -hmm. I really want to talk about Forgotten Realms, but I can just see if I start talking about Forgotten Realms at minute 40, you know, all these people stop watching. Yep. And like, that was just, yeah, that's, I can see how that could drive you crazy. Yep. It's, it's unbelievable how you can, data has gotten to the point where I can look at the pinpoint, the exact minute. Uh, where everyone tuned out. And if I go to the video, it's like, oh, it's because I mentioned this series and people don't care. Uh, so it's, I figured smarter ways now. So instead of directly talking about Forgotten Realms, I'll say, let's talk about examples of great ways to establish a fantasy party. And then I'll use Fantasy Forgotten Realms as an example, uh, rather than, oh, we're going to take this time to for talk about this feature of Forgotten Realms. You have to like carefully word it and phrase it to make people think they're not being lectured about a series they don't care about. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's tactful. You actually you had a comment in one of your videos where you, you kind of said that classic fantasy and science fiction wasn't getting a lot of love from your audience. Mm -hmm. I have the exact quote somewhere, but do you um, is that that's kind of been your experience that people are more interested in newer stuff? Now I'm going to make half your audience angry real quick. Uh, <laughs> modern fantasy is more interesting than classic fantasy to talk about. Uh, because there's so much new happening right now. I mean, like books published in the last two or three years, like really what's happening right now is really exciting uh, because we're seeing all these other cultures and authors from just places that wouldn't have been published by the traditional publishing houses come out and having amazing success. Um, you know, if you go back to 1980, America would not have a successful fantasy book that's inspired by African cultures about this certain like that just wouldn't happen. 
right? Because they wouldn't market it, they wouldn't trust it. But now the self-publishing boom happened. And from there, we've seen the uh, publishing boom of smaller publishers coming out and taking risks on series like people haven't seen before. I mentioned Greenbone Saga. That would not have been put out by a major publisher 50 years ago, but it's an extraordinary book. Uh, and so I think it's more interesting to talk about that stuff. And the way I talk about classic fantasy, if I'm going to do it, it's more, I like to talk about classic fantasy, like in a more reverent way. I really appreciate what it did for the genre. You know, every author today is standing on the shoulders of these giants. Um, but it's, there's only so much I can say about it at a certain point when there's so many things that need to be talked about now that are happening. that are so different. Um, people think modern fantasy, they think Sanderson, maybe a couple other big names, but if you look just a couple layers down, the people that aren't on the Sanderson-Martin level success, just a few under them, there's some authors that are doing some crazy outside-the-box stuff that I just really recommend people look into. Um, and it's 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 really, I keep saying really, uh, it's, <laughs> it's a fascinating time to read the cutting edge of fantasy. Mm -hmm. Well, sticking with boring old classic fantasy for a second, I wanted to run, so when I was your age, these, mm -hmm. are my, these would be my top six epic fantasy series. Mm -hmm. And I know you've read Song of Ice and Fire and the Gentleman mm -hmm. Bastard series by Scott Winch. Um, I haven't heard if you've mentioned the Myth series by Robert Asprin, the Chronicles of Amber by Roger Zelazny, the Book of the New Sun by Gene Wolfe, or the Boss Log novels by China Mieville. I was just curious if you ever read or, or heard of any of those. I've read one, and Chronic the uh, the Chronicles of Amber is on my TBR very closely coming up because TBR for listeners who don't know means to be read, booktube terminology. Uh, it, because so many people in my audience have been saying, you have to read Chronicles of Amber. If you don't, we're going to find where you live. So I'm, I'm about to read Chronicles of Amber. <laughs> well, you said you've read, you said you read one of the other ones or? Uh, I think it was one of the first two you said. Can you say them again? Because my brain is terrible. Uh, Robert Asprin, Gene Wolfe, China Mieville. Oh, you said A Song of Ice and Fire at the beginning. That's what I'm yeah. thinking of. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I've read those too. Um, but my classic fantasy is very biased towards what my dad liked. Uh, so it's very Fafford and the Grey's Mauser, Once in the Future King. Basically, if he feeds me my classic fantasy, I take it yeah. from him. So I just don't know if he didn't like an author. I don't get it as much. Um, but I, I have read like the major, uh, I, I have a hard time with classics because I'm going to be honest. I don't like as many of them, uh, because they're written in a way I don't, am I used to um I got a lot of flack for not liking Chronicles of Narnia and I still don't like Chronicles of Narnia at me all you want I'm not changing my <laughs> opinion on that um and there's a few that if I go back and read because I've I'm outside the era they were being written in uh it just becomes uh a little bit too predictable um there was one series recently I can't remember the name exactly I read it around the same time I reread Fafter and the Grey Mauser and it was just so fantasy tropey I'm sure for the time it was a lot of fun but I could just predict like every single beat that was going on. And it was just like, give me something different. Give me something that's more, uh, you know, left field. Uh, granted, there have been some that I adore. Um, I pretty much anything uh, by Tad Williams. I've had an extreme amount of fun reading just because even though it is a little more tropey than what I prefer, he's just such a good author. Um, Guy Gavril K has been around for a while and everything I've read from him has been exquisite. Uh, Tigana might be my favorite standalone fantasy book of all time. Um, and I don't mean to make anyone feel old by referring to these guys as classics. I know there's some people probably listening who are like, those aren't wait. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, but yeah, so I definitely am more of a modern fantasy guy, which people don't like sometimes, but Hey, it's what I prefer. It's what my audience prefers. And I'm, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> 
No, and I'm actually I'm exactly the same way in terms of you know because my a lot of my reading was guided by my parents who are both big fantasy and science fiction fans, and so there are a lot of classics I haven't read because they're like, no, that's not good, and so I just never read it. Um, mm. All those things I recommended, none of them are predictable fantasy. I wouldn't say. I mean, I think they they might give you trouble for different reasons. I mean, um, you know, China Mieville and Gene Wolfe uh, are, are very sort of like baroque um, style. Um, and some, especially with Gene Wolfe, the, the plot structure is really, really unconventional. Um, Gene Wolfe has been re- hounded for me to read for a long time. So that's what I'm going to get to as well. And I'm sure there's people who are listening who are saying, how could you have not read Gene Wolfe? There's ones I've read that I'm sure you've not read. So I just- <laughs> um, and then like the Chronicles of Amber, you know, is my all time favorite series, but if you're reading it now, I mean, it's very, very uneven in quality. And some of the books I've read, you know, 40 or 50 times, and some of them I could never make it through at all as a kid. So, you know, if you have trouble making it through the series, I would, uh, you know, could totally understand that. Well, I Chronicles of Amber is just one where it's like my audience is excited for me to read it. So I, by proxy, am excited to read it now. Um, if my audience gets hyped for me to get to something, I just like get hyped because they're hyping me. Um, so that's one where... I think one particular commenter has commented on every single video <laughs> I have put out in the last like month telling me to read it. And so that's kind of broken me down where it's like, all right, after I finish these next four in the next two weeks, I'll get to that one as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, so you mentioned um, your TBR, you know, your to be read pile. And you mentioned a bunch of different sorts of segments that booktubers would have. Um, mm-hmm. So like TBRs, book hauls, reading wrap ups. Fantasy news, book reviews, why you should reads, character examinations, author deep dives. Um, could you just talk about like what, you know, what, what some of those segment types of segments are and which ones you think work better or worse? Well, a couple of those are ones that I kind of either exclusively do or kind of started. Um, fantasy news is just something I've done. Uh, a couple of people have jumped on similar type things and I'm fine with that. You know, if you want to take inspiration from me, roll with it. Or if you want to do something totally different, that's fine. Uh, one person tried to start a segment called fantasy news. Like I have mine. And I was like, no, 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 I have that trademarked. <laughs> like literally that's mine. Uh, just name it something else. You're fine. Uh, but yeah, there's certain ones like reading wrap ups, TBRs, that stuff is uh very, uh, core to booktube. If you're going to be a booktuber, you typically start with, here's my bookshelf tour. Here's my TBR. Here are my favorite series of all times and my wrap up for what I've read this month. That is the booktube formula. And I have never really done that. I am a booktuber. I love the booktube community, but those type of videos drive me insane. I, I just can't do them. I don't find them interesting. Um, so I lean more towards the latter of a lot of what you talked about there. Uh, I much prefer doing a character examination. Could you, could you, um, why do they drive you insane? Like what, what is it about them that drives you insane? I hate repetition. And for me, doing a TBR is just me listing books again and again and again. Um, or a reading wrap up is me talking about books I've already reviewed. Um, or, you know, a bookshelf tour. Unless I was going to do something very comical and just making fun of my own bookshelf, I don't think I could do that and take it seriously. Um, I prefer the discussion that's much more subjective and opinionated. And so that's where I'll lean in towards a character examination. Um, but I, I don't even watch anyone else's like TBRs and stuff because it's just, okay, this is a person telling me what they're going to read. That's not really a discussion I'm interested in having. I want to talk about the book, not your intent to read it, which I don't mean that to sound mean or anything at all. I just, that's just not what I'm interested in, to be honest. Mm-hmm. With the um, fantasy news, I mean, one thing that I I think about a lot is that, you know, like the fantasy news, I feel like people are not going to 
this is not about you, just in general, that people are not going to watch it a year from now or something, right? Like, you know, it's like if I interviewed George R. R. Martin, you know, t I interviewed George R. R. Martin 10 years ago and people are still listening to that and it's still, you know, just as good now as it was then. Whereas yeah. if it's a discussion of like, oh, who are they going to cast in the new Game of Thrones show or something? Like, who's going to want to listen to that now, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't know, is that something that you've thought about? Or I mean, I guess if you're just doing like a 10 minute video, maybe it doesn't, it's not as much of a factor or... Now you're getting into the secret sauce of my channel. Um, I purposely weight my videos into about 50% that will age well and be watchable a year from now and you'll be fine. And another 50% are just uh, popular about what's hot right now. That's really fantasy news. Uh, fantasy news gets more clicks in the first day of being up than pretty much any other video I put out. But then it will just drop off and die because no one cares anymore. The news is out there. Everyone's heard about it. It's done. Um, I've, I've counteracted that a little bit by putting little skits and jokes and a lot of personality in fantasy news. So some people just come back to watch it for that, which I appreciate you guys so much. Um, but then the other half of my content is stuff that can age well and will continue to get views and stuff on and on and so forth. If you look at my top 10 videos, they're all that because a, a fantasy news will never crack my top 100 most viewed videos because they just they don't, they, they don't have the lifespan to, even if they get 45,000 views in the first day, they're not going to have the longevity to then take off from there because everything's irrelevant after a day. Whereas my interview with Brandon Sanderson has continued to just be a thousand views a day since it came out. And it's probably going to do that until the sun explodes or YouTube <laughs> gets shut down, whatever. Um, so it's, you got to be a YouTuber. I mean, I'm more than willing to tell everyone the secrets I have because I want to see more people succeed at this, but you need to have a healthy balance because it's important to keep your view count, you know, occasionally just get those quick views and make some money off that if you're trying to make a living on it. Uh, but it's also important to have like backbone videos is how I think of them. Videos that just no matter how many days in a row you kind of don't have a success, those views will still be coming in because you have those videos. Um, I, I recently put out a skit about Tolkien's fans that was my most successful video ever in views. And it's just, you know, even on my worst day since then, I look at that and I go, hey, I got 5k views in a day, which is outstanding for me with this old of a video. So awesome. I'm just going to be happy that that exists and is there. Yeah, well, it's funny you mentioned doing skits because uh, you got it looks like you got a green screen, a, a green screen recently, and I've been kind of having fun with that. A green screen is the most fun thing in the world, I'm convinced, because once you get into editing with a green screen, man, it's addicting. I was kind of like burnt out from editing. I was thinking about hiring an outside editor because I just I was so tired of looking at my own face. And then I realized, like, wait, I can buy a green screen and then wrap a, a green workout band around my stomach. So my stomach's gone and just make a weird video where I'm floating around book covers and talking about them. Let's go. <laughs> That's where uh, a recent amount of energy has come for the channel and it's not getting old at all. Where do you, where do you get all those backgrounds? Are those like public domain backgrounds or where do those come from? So you need to be careful with this. Uh, I either reach out to the artists. So like for my Let's Debate series, there is a kind of sci-fi looking backdrop. And that is uh, specifically an artist I've reached out to and asked, hey, can I use it? And he goes, yes, just include my Instagram in the link. And I always do. Um, and then I will use like book covers and stuff like that, which usually publishers don't care as long as you're, I mean, they just see whatever I do as free promotion. Even when I do negative reviews, they get sales off that. So they're just kind of, from what I can tell, like whatever, take it. Um, when I first got started, I didn't know about people not wanting their art being used. So I had a, an instance where an artist reached out and said, you used my art. And I went, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And uh, I, I think I ended up compensating a little bit and I learned my lesson there. But yes, to YouTubers out there, make sure you have permission or it's fair free use. Yeah, yeah. I think like if you're, um, 
talking about, you know, if it's the cover of the book that you're talking about, that seems to me that that's fair use. But if it's just some like, you know, generic, you know, if it's some scenery or something that's not yeah. connected to what you're talking about. The gray area comes in when I'm just literally drunk in the green screen and I just use the back cover as a backdrop to make fun of like, you know, whatever I feel like at the time. Then it's like, is that a review <laughs> or is that a joke? So I think I think they could have a case if they really pushed back. Yeah. Well, so I wanted to ask you about one of your, um, or I guess technically two of your videos were called My Problem with YA Fantasy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was just wondering what sort of, uh, what prompted you to do those videos and what kind of um, feedback <laughs> feedback did you get? Uh, so YA, as you mentioned before, is a huge part of BookTube. And so I'm often asked to talk about it. And so I've never really found many YA books I love. Um, I really do a few of the classic ones that are older, as I mentioned, His Dark Materials, Red Wall. Like there's a couple core ones that I'm like, these were aimed at younger audiences, but they're just great. And no matter what, I'm always going to love them. But many of the newer ones I've picked up, I've just noticed some constraints with the YA label. And I made two videos that were not framed to be an attack on YA. The first one's a history of how YA has come to be in the shape it's in today, which if anyone interested, basically Harry Potter made YA and then Harry Potter is like, it's then YA has grown up since then. Now there's a lot more adult content uh, that would not have been in the genre uh, 10 years ago being in the genre, whether it's drug use, death, you know, sexual assault, things like this are now in YA. Um, and those, you know, people would not affiliate that with Harry Potter back when that was really big. Um, and so I made this, this first part, which is the context of that. And the second video was me going, so what is YA now? Because the evolution is happening so fast and so many different things are allowed or not allowed. And there's these thematic constraints that frustrate me. Um, and so it wasn't meant to be an attack on YA. It was more just me saying like, what is this? As the community answer me, I didn't mean it to cause the controversy it did. It certainly resulted in some messages of people taking what I was saying as an attack on, on the genre. Um, and, but I did have some really nice informative responses, even from authors telling me, you know, their frustrations with the label of itself. And it seems my takeaway is that, uh, young adult is not a genre. It is a marketing label that publishers are going to put on whatever they think will sell to the YA audience as it grows up. And another frustration is now that there are so many mature themes in this young adult marketing label, it actually doesn't work for young adults. Like 13 to 15 shouldn't necessarily be reading some of the stuff that will be included now in YA. Um, and so now there's like this schism there where there's even this like subcategory and all this stuff. It's, it's really interesting to see how quickly it shifts. Uh, and now, you know, all genres are marketing labels. Clearly, it's just that this specific one seems to be an extreme example of how publishers don't really know how to handle it and are kind of just shuffling in and out whatever they think might sell uh, to the point where we're now seeing random fantasy series that have been around for 20 years suddenly getting rebranded as YA because they think if they put a certain type of cover on it, throw it in the YA section, it might suddenly have this great second life. Um, and my response to that is great. If you can get people to read a series they otherwise wouldn't have, fantastic. As I said, I have no problem with this. It's just this interesting marketing thing that's occurring that I wanted to talk about um, and resulted in people calling me an idiot. <laughs> then, and then, so when you say you, like, how did you respond to people calling you an idiot? Uh, I, I had one of the most interesting discussions in the history of my channel. Uh, there is a, another booktuber out there who I invited to be on uh, because she makes great content often around YA. 
uh, the book Leo is, I believe, her channel. Uh, I could have just been mistaken. I'll correct that if it is. And she was one of the people who left a response that was very eloquent and not uh, attacking in any way, shape, or form. And so I decided to just have her on for a conversation. And the follow-up interview with her uh, was probably one of my favorite videos I've ever had because uh, she was very, very good at, uh, I made the mistake of asking her at one point, okay, well, people who aren't fans of YA, uh, what would you recommend they read to maybe change their mind? And her response would be like, I'm not going to try and recommend a book that I think isn't YA to trick people into reading YA. And I was like, you're smart. <laughs> uh, and she instead just recommended solid choices for people to check out that maybe are more of the underground, you know, form of that uh, specific uh, young adult scene. And uh, it was really great because I think there's a problem as well where that specific genre has an issue where there'll be a few series that are seen as the face of it. And those are rapidly changed out. And underneath that, if you really get into the community, there's a lot of rock solid books and series that just don't get the mainstream attention uh, that really do represent what that label could be if it was properly handled. Well, you say that, you know, this this other uh, booktuber that you interviewed her and interviews are not something that's been a major part of your channel overall, it seems. But it seems like you've been doing more recently. Kind of what is your um, where do you see um, interviews fitting in on your channel? So uh, the, it depends. Uh, there's two different reasons I'll interview someone. One, the author is someone I love and respect and I want to get their thoughts and opinions on things. And my audience wants to hear them answer these certain questions. And so I'll reach out and say, hey, would you enjoy being on my channel and answering questions about these topics? And, you know, sometimes they'll say yes, sometimes they'll say no. Uh, and then the other time is I kind of know the author or, you know, where we have some kind of like we'll message on Twitter a whole bunch and I'll bring them on to do just kind of a fun, casual conversation about a topic. And both instances, it's essentially in the back of my head, me knowing I'm not an expert. And so let's bring an expert on in the sense that they've actually been published. They've been around. They're a big part of this community in a way that I'm not. Um, and I always love to get their counterpoints to my uh, view because I'm a critic. They're someone who produces the content. And so there's a pretty interesting dynamic there I like to explore where, you know, it's like, okay, I can say in this book that you put out, people loved this. How did you do that? Or what was your thought process behind that? Because I, as a critic, can only speculate. I can't actually ask them how they came up with the dynamic between two characters and what the inspiration was. And are they happy with the outcome? Has some of the reaction surprised them? I, I don't know that on my own. So bringing them in to actually provide answers is an experiment, but I've been thrilled with the results so far. Do you ever go to... um? author readings or um, conventions or anything like that? I was about to go to so many and then COVID happened, man. Yeah. I had never been. I was invited to a ton and then COVID happened and that stopped. <laughs> which ones did you get in? Which ones were you planning to go to? Well, the first convention about books I'd ever been to was um, the one for Wheel of Time, um, which was uh, Jordan Con. It was a blast. And then from there, I was going to go to Dragon Con. Uh, I was kind of looking into a bunch of panels that were going to be in the Ohio area where I lived at the time, as well as a couple in surrounding states. Uh, I was invited to uh, speak with a couple of people, and then all those moved virtually. Um, and then I did a charity event uh, recently, which was supposed to be a in-person thing that instead was brought online. Um, and I, 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 I'm so frustrated with all of that because I was looking forward to it. I was going to make so many connections, and that's just gone kaput. Um, but specifically, there was just... A few other conventions. I have a really hard keeping all their names straight in my head because <laughs> there's a lot. 
Um, but yeah, I was essentially either just going to pay and bring myself or I had someone saying, Hey, we can get you in as a member of the press. Would you like to be here? And it was always just an instant yes from me. Um, but yeah, then the world shut down. You're in, are you in Virginia now? Yes. I just moved to uh, Virginia, actually my home state. I've lived in four different places in four years and I decided let's stop that. So I went home. <laughs> yeah. I was trying to think if I know any fantasy and science fiction writers in Virginia, I couldn't really think of anything. Do you know, is there like a scene there at all? Like, um, there, there's definitely, I think it's called wizard con in DC, uh, which is pretty big and popular. Uh, and then there's a bunch of other conventions that, you know, pretty much all conventions now, if even if they have a central topic, will just have the general nerddom latch on on the sides. Like if there's a anime convention, you're still going to find Star Wars and book stuff there and comic book stuff. They all just show up. Um, but yeah, WizardCon is the big one near me. And that's in D.C. I'm in Richmond uh, and I don't know if there's one specifically here. I haven't bothered checking since I moved here because I assume it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and also, you just started up a, a new podcast called A Fictional Conversation. So I was just curious what made you want to branch out in, from, from YouTube into doing a podcast? Uh, one of my best friends in the whole world, Bobby O'Donnell, is the funniest man I've ever met. And I now that I live in the same state with him, uh, he's wanted to do a podcast for a long time. And I was like, man, I got an audience. I think they will love you. Let's do it. And we've launched a podcast and we don't really know what it is yet. I'm going to be honest. We're three or four episodes in and we've talked about a horror movie, Back to the Future, a alien abduction story, like a real life someone claiming they were abducted by aliens. I'm a skeptic. Bobby's a believer. We just talked about it. And then we're about to release an episode talking about how the DCEU could possibly be fixed. Uh, and so we're just kind of having fun and it's been a really good time. I needed something that was a project that was less stressful. And as you said, I wouldn't get constant feedback on all the time. <laughs> you really don't with podcasts. Um, and so it, it's just kind of been a great outlet for me and it's been a way for Bobby to try out being a content creator as well. And I just knew my audience would love him because he's the only person who's made me laugh so hard. I've like my vision's gone black because I couldn't breathe. So I figured he's a, he's a solid choice. <laughs> I mean, are, are you, and you, but you are getting indications that your, your YouTube audience will move over and, and listen to a podcast that's on iTunes or whatever. Yeah. We've, I've definitely had, uh, more than a few people leave reviews and, and comments, which has been oh so nice to see. Uh, but I purposely have kind of been ignoring the numbers because numbers run my life. So for me, I'm just not paying attention a whole lot, <laughs> um, for this one and just letting it be a side hustle. And if it fizzles out, that's fine. If it becomes a great success. Awesome. I'm sure that'll be stressful too, <laughs> but that's the, that's the mindset right now. Yeah. All right. So we're pretty much out of time. Do you have any, just other, uh, any final thoughts or other projects you want to let people know about? I just want to say thank you for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. And after uh, listening to a couple episodes, I, I enjoy what you do here in your style. It's, it's always nice to see a podcast that's willing to just have whoever on to talk about nerdy stuff and whether it's their careers or having someone come on to talk about something else. I know people can appreciate that sometimes to just be on to not talk about themselves and talk about a piece of media. That's great. It seems like you're having a fun time and it's, it's a good listen. Oh yeah. No, thanks so much. I, I did want to mention, I mean, I think you have a, you're working on a, a novel of your own, right? Or a novella or something. I'm working on a fantasy series for my first ever book, which everyone has told me is a mistake and I should write something smaller. Uh, but I'm working on a trilogy that I've finished outlining and have written some chapters in. It's, it's still behind the scenes. There's a curtain that no one's allowed past. Uh, but yeah, I'm working on a book and it's been, uh, 
man, writing's hard. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> my takeaway so far. Writing sucks. <laughs> this is is this the explorers or is this or have you moved on to something else like the four ships? Thing? This is a so the the general pitch I've had is this is a fantasy story that is set in flintlock fantasy times, which means muskets and cannons with uh, a lot of themes of manifest destiny. And it's about an island hopping campaign. And we're kind of following the bad guys as there's some form of funny business happening with the gods. That's what I will uh, leave it with there. Cause the lore mythology is very Greek uh, gods inspired and the magic system is very uh, actually came up with it after watching the show Chernobyl. So it's uh, inspired by radiation and it's a very weird blend, but I think I'm managing it fine is the hmm. amount of credit I will give myself. <laughs> no, you know, I, I listened to you talk about it in one of the videos and uh, I thought it sounded cool. So I hope you're able to kind of get over that, you know, challenge and, and, and get it done. See, but if I, if I just release enough to get a lot of people interested and then I never finish it and I like pass, then it's Daniel's great unfinished work. So it'll be <laughs> way more interesting than anything I ever put out. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. So why don't we, uh, wrap things up there? So we've been speaking with Daniel Green and you should all go check out his YouTube channel and his new podcast, A Fictional Conversation. So Daniel, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it, David. And that was our interview. So big thanks again to Daniel Green for joining us on the show. And remember that Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com slash geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time contribution, you can do that via check or PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. So big thanks again to everyone who's contributed. We really appreciate it. All right, so that was our show. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your host, visit davidbarkertley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it... Tell no one. Thank you for listening.